God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you, as you know, wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, and that's where we're going to be today. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Today, I'd like to talk to you about being guided and provided for in life. You know, a lot of people talk about how they have their plans for their lives. But many times those plans fall apart, don't they? I mean, we try to plan as well as we can, but they fall apart on us. Unforeseen circumstances come along. Things that we didn't know was going to happen in the future come along and just knock our legs out from under us and knock those wheels off of our plans. And we have to start all over again or revise our plans. But the good thing about being guided by the Lord is that He knows the future. He knows where to put you today to keep you safe tomorrow. He knows where you need to be placed today to put you in a place to where He can bless you and keep you out of trouble tomorrow. It's better to trust your life to the Lord. It's better to give Him everything in life. Now, let's be honest. Let's just cut to the sum total of the whole message right here. You got to trust God. If you believe in God, you trust God. The Hebrew word lehamin means to believe, right? Lehamin, to believe, to rely upon and to trust in. So if you believe in God, in Hebrew, you would say, well, of course, I believe in God, and therefore I trust in Him. In English, those two words are something different. English, you know, you would say, I believe John is over here outside just around that corner to the right. But you don't know that for sure. What you're really saying is, he may be, he may not be. I really don't know for sure. But in Hebrew, when you say, I believe, you're saying, I'm relying on this. I'm trusting that this is a fact. You see, because the words are the same. Lehamin, animamin, I believe in Yeshua, Hamashiach. Animamin, a girl would say, animamina, be Yeshua Hamashiach. Well, see, when you believe in God, doesn't it make sense that you trust in God? I mean, who is it that you said you believe in? God, right? God, the Creator who spoke heaven and earth into existence by the word of His mouth. Let there be light. And He brought all of this about. And He spoke all that is into existence from nothing. This is the God to whom nothing shall be impossible. So if you say you believe in this God then that means that, of course, I trust Him. He's far more powerful than I am. He's far wiser than I am. He's perfect in wisdom. He knows the future. I don't. He knows how to keep me. And I've got enemies that I can't overcome. But God is all-powerful. He'll overcome them for me. So doesn't it make sense when you say that you believe in God, to trust God, to guide you in life? and to provide for you in life? Of course it does. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in our message today. And if we look at chapter 24, 
we're going to be continuing in our journey through the Torah together, yes. Hasefe Bereshit, the book of Genesis, is the first book of the Torah. So you want to study Torah? Well, here you are, right here. You keep showing up, we're going to go through this book of Genesis in the Torah. You're studying Torah right now. So let's continue our journey through the Torah together now, starting at chapter 24, verse 1. You know, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. I'm going to stop just as we go along, and I want to comment on each of these parts of these verses as we go through here. I'm trying to teach you how you can read the Bible and how you can study the Bible. The first time you pick up a chapter, it's good just to read it from start to finish. You may not understand everything in it, but just read it. Just read it start to finish. That will give you what we call in Hebrew the pishat, or the simple and obvious interpretation of the scriptures. The pishat is just telling the story, telling what's going on. And just even a child could read the scriptures and get the pishat, or the simple and obvious meaning of what's going on. Now, you wouldn't get all the details. By doing that. No, that's for the next time you pick it up. So after you read it all the way through, don't try to stop and understand everything, but just read it through. Then go back over it and take your time. And as you go through each and every verse, look for what God is really saying there. For instance, we'll just have an example of that today as I teach today. And as you start reading the Word on your own, you do the same thing in your daily reading of God's Word. Verse 1 had said, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. That's a good place to stop. So it says now, Abraham was old. He was well advanced in age. I can relate to that. Even though Abraham was older than I, I am now, uh, they lived longer then. So, so compared to the end of his life, he, he might have even been younger than I am now compared to the end of uh, life and what people live to today. But it says he was old and well advanced in age. And then it said, and God the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. A couple of things I want you to notice there. Abraham was now old. When the Lord first spoke to him, he was younger. And now he's, here's the testimony that this verse in verse 1 says, that God took care of Abraham all throughout his life. It wasn't just one miracle occasionally or, or this or that. And, and Abraham looked back on the time when God took care of me back then. Oh, that was such a beautiful time. I remember I was young and God spoke to me. Never heard from him again after that, but God spoke to me then. It's a good memory. No, that's, that's not what happened. He's saying that Abraham was old, well advanced in age. Well, that's just another way of saying really old. Abraham was old really old. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so now this first verse says, Abraham's now old, and yet God's been with him the whole time. Not only has God been with him, but the Lord has blessed Abraham. Not only has the Lord just blessed Abraham, but He's blessed Abraham in all things. And you go, well, Pastor Stephen, wait a minute. You know, 
God blessed him in all things. I thought just God blesses us in, in the times where we really have these severe trials and troubles and we just cry out to God, God help us, I don't have any other way out of this. Please, please hear my cry, please, I'm on bended knees, I'm lifting my hands to you. Lord, please help me. It's not just those times in life that God calls and helps you. No, it's all things. It says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham, don't stop there, in all things. In all things. He loves you the same way. That's what I'm saying. Now verse 2 continues. So Abram, Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, this is probably Eleazar, who ruled over all that he had, and he said, now please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, it was the custom at that time, as it is in many cultures even today, that the parents, specifically the father, would arrange for the wedding of their son or their daughter. And whoever the father selected, whoever the father and the mother selected, that would be the one to where their child was to be married. And sometimes they would select that child when that child was three, four, five years of age and commit to another person my child is going to marry your child. Is that okay with you? And they would strike a deal. They would shake on it, whatever they did, you know, in that culture. And that would be an agreement. And then when their children became of age to marry, they would be given in marriage. That's why we even use that phrase today. Who gives this woman in marriage, you see? Now, a person can go and get married today in America and doesn't have to be given but it's customary for the father to say these words when the minister asks who gives this woman in marriage and the father says, I do and her mother does, or I do. And the father is giving that child away, that woman away in marriage. It comes from these sorts of things that was happening in the culture of Abraham in those days where they were giving their child in marriage. The only difference is, is they weren't waiting till the wedding to do it. They were making arrangement ahead of time and arranging this marriage. It was an arranged marriage, you could say. And this was common. This was the culture of many, many, many places around the world for many, many centuries. This was what happened. You see, arranged marriages by the parents. It was one of the parents' last opportunities to bless their child. As the child grew up, the parents would buy them things, would give them presents, would give them gifts and everything and delight their child. But this is one of the last chances they had to really delight their child before the child moved out of their house, you see. And so the father and the mother did not want to mess this up. They wanted to choose very carefully so that their son, so that their daughter would be very happy with their choice for their husband or for their wife, you see. And so it says that Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over everything that he had, put your hand under my thigh. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, it just means this. It was a way that people did things in the culture at that time that if the servant would put their hand under the thigh of the person that they worked for, it was saying, I acknowledge that I am under you and that I will do what you say and ask me to do. But then it was also saying, I acknowledge that I am under you, I'm here to serve you, and I am holding you up. So this is a cultural thing that was done at that time. And then Abram says, Abraham says, put your hand under my thigh and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac, or Yitzchak, remember? That's what it means in Hebrew, laughter. Yitzchak, the name that God said the child would be called. And so Abraham is saying that basically he trusts this servant greatly. He said, normally I would make this decision, but I'm an old man now. I can't travel all that distance, but I trust you, Eleazar, to go and find the right one for my child. Eleazar, you've worked with me all these years. You know my heart on these matters. You know how I think. You know what's on my mind. You know how I desire to greatly bless my son, Isaac, Isaac. And so I want you to go, and I want you to do this for me. You find the proper wife for my son, someone who's going to greatly bless him. But I don't want you to choose his wife from these Canaanites that we live in this land with because they worship multiple gods. They had pagan practices. Some would even sacrifice their own children to false gods. Abraham didn't want any sort of a wife like that for his son. Because it's only a matter of time before that wife from that other culture would start influencing Isaac. The things that Isaac has learned from his father and his mother growing up, you don't want him to lose those lessons. And when you have someone that comes from a pagan background that worship false gods, it's only a matter of time before the, the husband would become influenced by his wife and those false gods. We read that in the story of Hamelech Shlomo, or King Solomon in Israel. We had all of those wives, and eventually they influenced him to where he had all these wives that worshiped false gods, and that was all around him. Well, that was vexing, and it took away his attention and his dedication to the Lord his God. And so we see the situation now to where Abraham is telling Eliezer, the servant, he said, I want you to go back to my country. They know my heart. They know how the Lord has called me. They know how the Lord has been faithful to me all these years, taking me through life, leading me through this, and even giving me a miracle son in my old age when I was 100 and my wife was 90 years of age. They know that the God I serve is the real God the true God who can do the miraculous things. And the true God doesn't want us to sacrifice our children to false gods. He wants us to give our children to Him so that He can love them and carry them safely through life. And now Abraham's saying, I want you to go back to my country that I came from, to my family, they know me, and I want you to take a wife from them for my son Isaac. 
Then we continue on in verse 5. And the servant said to Abraham, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8 then continues, And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So what we see is Eleazar is asking a, a simple question. And, well, what if the woman doesn't want to come back here with me? I mean, after all, Eleazar is going there to find a wife and he's going to show up there. He said, well, I'm just his servant. And no, I don't have any pictures on my iPhone of, of what Isaac looks like or what kind of person he is. Uh, no, we don't have any photographs that I can show you. Uh, we don't have any witnesses that can testify what he's like. So he's asking Abraham, what if she doesn't want to come back here with me and marry this person who she's never seen? You see, that would really be a miracle that she would come back with him to begin with, not having known Isaac, not having seen Isaac at all, ever before. And then he says to Abraham, wait, what happens if the woman won't follow me back to this land? Do I have to come back and take your son from this land and take him over to there? And Abraham said, no, 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 no. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Why was he saying this? Well, he tells us in verse 7. He says, the Lord God of heaven took me from my father's house and from the land of my family. And he spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. That Lord, that God, Eleazar, will send his angel before you, and, shall take, and you shall take a wife from my son for there. What he's saying right there to Eleazar is basically, Eleazar, don't worry about it. God, first of all, spoke to me and said, This is your new land. I called you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I called you to come to this place, and I've sworn to give this land to you and your descendants. Does he have any other kids that he's going to give descendants to? No, not, not or of the promise. The promise was to be through the seed of Isaac, his son, when he was 100 years of age and Sarah was 90 years of age, that God gave to them. All of his descendants for the promise of God would be at that time given through Isaac, and they would arise through Isaac. And so if God is saying, Abraham, this is your land for you and your descendants forever, then Isaac's got to be in that land to receive that promise, right? He's got to be in that land to have that promised land given to him, and his descendants would come through him and be part of that land. But if he's in some foreign land and he no longer lives there and he has all these descendants that come from him, they're not going to know anything about the promised land that God gave them, you see. They would be living in some other place learning about some false gods instead. And so Abraham tells Eleazar, don't send my son back there. You leave my son here. God's going to go before you. He's going to send his angel before you, and you'll take a wife for my son from there. Now look, 
Eleazar just asked, well, what if she won't follow me back here? Abraham says, it's okay. He says, if the woman's not willing to follow you, he says in verse 8, then you'll be released from the oath. Only don't go back and don't take my son back there. But before he gets to verse 8, he says very conclusively in verse 7, God is going to send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. What is he saying? He's saying that God is going to make this happen, Eleazar. You don't have to worry. You can trust God because God's going to guide you, Eliezer. He's going to provide for you in this journey and you will find a, a wife because he himself will go before you and you will find the right wife to bring back to here. But then just to, just to ease Eliezer's mind in verse 8, he says, and if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from the oath. Only don't take my son back there. Basically what he was saying, like, you know what, Eliezer, God's going to provide. He's going to provide the woman. She's going to come back here with you. You don't have to worry because it's not up to you. It's up to God, and He will guide you, and He will provide for you. You'll be guided, and you'll be provided for. And so this is the answer that Abraham gave him. Now let's go on to verse 9. He says, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and he swore to him concerning the matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all of his master's goods were in his hand. He was the trusted master, you see. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Verse 11 then concludes, And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw the water. Now, we see these verses here, and Eliezer says, Okay, you're the master, I serve you, and you've been good to me, and I've watched your life. I've watched God take care of you in everything that you've done, and now you're old, you can't make this journey. You're sending me, and you've, got, and you've blessed me with your God will uh, go before me, and so I know that it's going to work out okay. I know it's going to turn out okay. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, because all of his master's goods were in his hand. Think about this. We know from Genesis chapter 14 that Abraham had at least 318 men who were of fighting age. Then all of their families, and then all of his family, and, and, and Lot, and all of these other people who had come out with him, Abraham was responsible for these people. And so Eleazar was the most trusted man that Abraham had. And he had seen that, that Eleazar could be trusted with all of his goods, with all the things that belonged to Abraham and all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people, all of the business things, all the feeding of them, the caring for them, the flocks, tens and tens of thousands of sheep and goat and the creatures and the agriculture and the crops that were there. All of these things were under the control of Eleazar, his trusted servant. And so all of the things of Abraham were in the hand of Eleazar. So Eleazar took ten camels and came up with a plan. He came up with a plan. He said, well, <clears throat> I don't know what God's going to do, but I know that God is going to do something. 
but I'll do my part until the Lord tells me to do something different. And he came up with a plan. He said, okay, I'll take 10 camels. And he left. And then when he got to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels kneel down outside that city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw the water. Well, that was smart. All throughout the Middle East back then and all the hot areas, the women would come out of the cities twice a day and draw water from the well and bring it back to their households in the city. <clears throat> and they would live in the city and be surrounded by the walls to protect themselves against invading armies. But many times the well and where the water was located had to be outside the city. Well, they didn't want to go during the heat of the day. And if you've ever been in the Middle East sometimes of years, you know what I mean. It can get pretty hot there. But they knew that they would wait until evening time. A couple of things happened at evening time. First of all, the sun was lower, so it was starting to cool off now. Second of all, the men would be working with the flocks and the herds, and they would bring them back from grazing in the grass to the water at the well, and they would give their flocks water at that time during the cool of the evening. Here's what I'm saying. No one wanted to work during the heat of the day. Didn't have air conditioning those days. Camels you couldn't fit an air conditioning to anyway. But anyway, and by the way, have you seen how slow camels move? If it's one thing worse than just being out there in the hot desert-type temperatures, it's, it's worse when you're riding a camel through the desert instead of in your air-conditioned car, you see. Well, that camel's going to take his time going through that desert. Just chewing on things. He can go all day long for days and days without water, but there you are sitting on that camel, and you're going, well, I can't go days and days without water. Come on, let's move along. Let's get down the road to that water. But they would show up back at the well. Well, that's a good time to be at the well, right? I mean, they would bring their herds back there, their flocks, at the end of the day, so their herds and their flocks could be watered at the end of the day. Interestingly enough, that's when the women came out to also get the water at the end of the day in the cool of the evening. Everyone was there at the cooler time of the day. But also, there were <coughs> raiders, there were thieves that would come in and try to steal the water from the well. And so they would usually put a large rock on the opening of the well to where no one person or even just a few people could lift that heavy rock off of the well so no one could steal the water. So the women would wait there for the men to come and bring the flocks and the men would get together and a whole bunch of them would move that rock off of the well then they could draw the water. That way the water was protected and yet it was available to them at the same time and everyone was there in the cool of the day, you see. Then in verse 12, he goes on down, he says, Then he said, O Lord God of my master, this is the servant speaking, <clears throat> O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I want to stop right there and talk about verse 12. Eleazar had been with Abraham, his master, for years and years and years. He knew that Abraham was a man of God. He had probably seen Abraham pray over and over and over again. As he's going through trials, 
Remember that time in Genesis 14 where Abraham got these 318 men that that were part of his community and went forth and rescued Lot and all the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain and brought them back with all the riches that these four foreign kings with their mighty armies had stolen. He went there and did this. You can imagine Eleazar looking at Abraham, just observing him right before Abraham was going to ride out and confront these armies with the very few people that he had working against thousands and thousands of these uh, king's arm, or thousands and thousands of these soldiers from these four king's armies. And so the day before that was to happen, you know Eleazar saw Abraham just walking around, praying, seeking God. God, help me. Give me victory. Give me the right moves to make, Lord. Let me make the right decisions. Protect my people, God. You know that people in Abraham's community knew that Abraham was a man of God. Do people know that you're a man of God? Do people know that you're a woman of God? I've heard it said, if you were arrested for being a believer in Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We need to always examine our life to make sure that we are representing the Lord in our daily lives. And so Eleazar has learned from Abraham all these years. So in verse 12, he finally gets to this place at the city Here's the women coming out to draw the water in the evening time. And then notice what happens. Eleazar doesn't say, oh, okay, well, I'll just, I'll go around and I'll, I'll start uh, writing down the ones that are the most desirable ones, the ones I think might be the best wife for Isaac. No, he, he doesn't work that way. The first place he goes is on his knees to God. And he says, oh, Lord God, my master, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. He seeks the Lord. And you know what? We're going to see that God honors that prayer. Then verse 13, it continues, Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you've appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he finished speaking, it says in verse 15, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcha, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. She wasn't married. <clears throat> and she went down to the well, and she filled her pitcher and came up. <coughs> Excuse me. So now we see that Eleazar has prayed and asked God to lead him. But then look at what he did. In his prayer, he goes on, he said, not only give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham, but now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, okay, here have a drink. But then she also says, and I'll also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one. 
Let her be the one you've appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I'll know that you've shown kindness to my master. Now, what Eliezer was doing was he was saying, God, I really want to make sure this is you. So I know there's a lot of women here. I don't want my imagination to trick me. It's easy for me to look at them and say, oh, she'd be a nice wife. Or how about her? Or, ooh, she's even better than this one. Or look, okay, she's, you know, and it'd be easy for me to come to my own conclusions in my own mind. But God, I'm not wise. Your wisdom is higher than mine as the heavens are above the earth. I don't know the future, God. You do know the future. You know which one of these women will be the perfect woman, a woman for my, for my master Isaac, the son of my master Abraham. So, Lord, if I ask her for a drink, let her give me a drink. Well, now keep in mind, <clears throat> the culture of the country at that time was any time you had a foreigner come through and needed hospitality, Everyone would try to serve that person and would insist on refreshing that person with food and drink and maybe even lodging at their place for a night or two or something as they were passing through. That was just the culture. So all of those women would say, oh, of course, here, have a drink from this pitcher. And they would give a drink from the pitcher. But then the servant says, and Lord, if after she gives me a drink, she'll also say, and I'll also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you've appointed for my servant, your servant Isaac. Now, giving the camels a drink and giving Eleazar a drink, two different things. Eleazar just takes a cup of water. Oh, well, maybe one more. Okay, a little more and drinks that. Ah, oh, thank you so much. That's really good. But then he says, the one that says I'll give your camels a drink, that's the one that not only is beautiful on the outside, that's the one that's beautiful on the inside. God says he doesn't look on the appearance. He said concerning Saul, the king, when he was talking to Samuel, he said, God is not like man. Man looks on the appearance and the outside. But God doesn't look on the appearance. God looks on the heart. So God is saying, I'm going to give you someone who may be beautiful on the outside, but it's important for my child Isaac that I've given Abraham and Sarah, that I give him the right wife who's going to help him in his walk with God through the years. And I want her to be a woman with a beautiful heart too. And so Eliezer says, if she says to me, I'll also give your camels a drink, then he's basically saying to God, I'll know that that's the one you've selected. Why? Because no one would say that. A camel can drink up to 25 gallons. They go for days and days without water. And when they finally get a chance to drink water, they drink a lot and they store it up. They put it inside in the tank and it stays there a long time. Well, he had 10 camels, 25 gallons. What can she carry on her shoulders each time that she lets down her, <coughs> her, her bucket into the water? Can she carry two gallons, three gallons? That would be tough. Remember, she carried it all the way out of the city, that bucket, and now she's got to fill it up and take it all the way back in the city. I mean, how much could she carry? Let's say two gallons. 
Even that would be tough to do all that time. But then two gallons, each camel drinks 25 gallons roughly. Let's say that today they weren't that thirsty and just give it some benefit of the doubt. Let's only 15 gallons. She's taking two gallons per trip from the well to the camels. That's seven trips per camel. How many camels did he bring? Ten. That's 70 trips to and from the well to water the camels. To water the camels. So what girl is going to say, oh, here, here's a drink for you. And hey, those are your 10 camels. I'll also get water until they have drink and they're completely full for themselves. <laughs> Eleazar is probably thinking like, wow, if someone answers and does that, I'll know for sure that they have the right heart. I'll know for certain that God's given me the one who has a heart of gold who has not only a beautiful appearance, but who has a beautiful, beautiful heart. You see, it's not the person that other people see every day in you. It's the person that other people may not see in you that you want to show them. There is beauty and there is people more beautiful and there's people less beautiful. But a beautiful heart everyone can have. And the one with a beautiful heart is a treasure beyond compare. A person with a beautiful heart is a treasure that will bless any husband. And so Eleazar is praying that God brings him the right woman, one with a beautiful heart. And so it happened that just as he prayed this, it says in verse 15, even before he finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, Bethuel as you would say in English, the son of Milchah, the wife of Nahor, who just happened to be Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was beautiful to behold and a virgin. In other words, she wasn't married. They didn't have sex outside of marriage at that time. They honored marriage. That's the institution that God provided for sex to be in between a man and a woman. No man had known her and she went down to the well. She filled her pitcher and came up. And then it says in verse 17, Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Now at that time, if it had been some other woman, she might have said like, I don't have time to deal with you. I'm supposed to get this water and go back into the city and, and I've got to get it. And there's a big long line of people and I don't know. I've got to wait here. And I know it's the cool of the evening, but it's still hot. <clears throat> I have to wait here and do all of this. I don't have time to deal with you. It could have been any of these other people that he met. But it says in verse 18 that the one he went up to, Rebecca, she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down the pitcher down to her hand. Oh, of course, here. And she hurried to make sure that he would get a drink in a hurry. She knew that he was weary. She knew that his trip had been long and that he was hot and he needed a drink. She had the right heart, you see. And when she had finished giving him a drink, well, guess what she said? She said, I'll also draw waters for your camels too. Until they'd finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew water for all of his camels too. 
And Eliezer was sitting back wondering at her. He remained silent so he would know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So he hears the words that she's saying and he starts wondering as he watches her draw water for all of his camels. It took a while, as we said, 70-something trips, 70, whatever it was, you know, a lot of trips to water all those camels until they were full. And he sat back wondering, is God, is this the one? I mean, I just prayed that prayer, and before I even finished praying that prayer, here comes this young lady, and, and I decide that I'm going to ask her, and, and already you've given me the answer to my prayer. God, it seems like I would have had to wait a lot longer for the right woman to come down. It seems like a lot of women would have turned me down, but now she's the first one and she says, oh, don't worry, here's a drink for you and I'll water all your camels. And he sits back watching her water the camels and he's going, God, is, is that you? I mean, you've already answered my prayer? And he listened for the Lord. Lord, if this is you, then you've already answered my prayer. You've already made my journey successful. And so then he goes on down in verse 22. It says, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two, now I don't mean an Israeli shekel of today, but a measure of silver in those days that was very, very expensive. He took, the man took a nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for a wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Basically what he was saying, whose daughter are you? I mean, God's already done this one miracle, and, but Abraham sent me to get a, a wife from the house of his brother and from his family there. So whose daughter are you? She might be the daughter of other people. She might be a daughter of someone who wasn't the family of Abraham. So he's saying, okay, God's answered the first part of my prayer. Now I'm going to ask her, whose daughter are you? And so she said to him in verse 24, I'm the daughter of Betuel, Milcha's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, and we have straw and feed enough and room for you to lodge. <laughs> then the man bowed down his head and worshiped God. I think I would have been right there with him, God. What amazing, wonderful thing you've done here, God. What a wonderful thing you've done. Not only the very first woman that I asked gave me water and gave water for all my camels, not only did she have a heart of gold, a beautiful heart, she's also from my master's family here in this land. She's exactly the family that I wanted to come to and try to find a wife for Isaac. And you have brought her here to me, God. And not only that, she says that she's the, the, the child of Nahor through Milcha, his wife. Well, Nahor is Abraham's brother. This is certainly in the family of my master, Abraham. And then look at how good of a heart she has. And now she's saying to me, don't worry. We have straw and feed enough. We can feed your camels. We can feed you and you've got room to stay as long as you want. Our place is your place. Mikasa is su casa. But you wouldn't say that in Hebrew. You say, habayt shelano, habayt shokha. Anyway, it's the same thing. 
there's room for you to lodge. And God, you've done all of this. Brought me the right one. She watered the candles. She extended courtesy to me. She's from the family. Another miracle. Miracle number two. Number three, look at the heart of their family and her because they've trained her to do this, to bring in the strangers and to feed and graze their cattle and their camels and to even offer them a place to stay. Then Eleazar bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. Mm. Yeah, you'd be worshiping the Lord too if you were there with him and you'd seen what he just saw. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward his master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me right to the house of my master's brothers. Verse 28, So the young woman ran and told her mother's household all of these sayings. Hmm. Eleazar was guided by God. Eleazar prayed for God to guide him, and God guided him. Eleazar prayed for God to provide for him the right woman, and God provided not only the right woman, but made it a woman with a beautiful heart, a beautiful family, and a place that would show hospitality to the servant of Abraham. Now today, I know we're talking about the servant of Abraham going on this journey and finding a wife for Isaac, Isaac. And it's a continuation of our study in the life of Abraham, right? The father of the Jewish people, but also the father of all those who believe in the Jewish Mashiach, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. But the story today is really about Abraham's trusted servants, not about the life of Abraham right now, but it's going to pass into the life of Isaac as we get this story and we're introduced to the future wife of Isaac himself. As we see God continue to work after Abraham later will pass from the scene, God will continue to work with his son Isaac as he said he would. The story today is really about Abraham's trusted servant. Abraham needed someone whom he could trust, someone who would seek God's guiding in the journey, someone who would be a person of prayer. He knew that Eleazar had learned those lessons from him over the year. And in the verses today, we've seen that Abraham chose wisely the one to send. He chose this servant whom he trusted, whom he had known all this time, whom he had trained, and he sent the right person, a man who sought God. He chose to give the message about his son to someone who could be trusted, someone who would be faithful, not someone who would be trustworthy one day and, and then not show up the next day. He needed someone he could count on. God needed someone he could depend upon. And God answered Abraham's prayer when Abraham chose that person to sin. Abraham's servant was a man who loved Abraham. He was loyal to Abraham, and he took his calling seriously. It wasn't something that he did in his spare time. He served God by serving his master, Abraham. He took his calling seriously, and he spent time seeking wisdom from God and asking God to guide him. We see that this faithful servant, first of all, accepted the challenge. 
that Abraham had given him. He accepted it. He could have turned it down and said, I don't want to go and do that. Sounds like a lost cause. I'm going to ask this woman to travel all this distance to meet someone who she's never seen, never even met. No, he accepted the challenge. He knew that God was where the wisdom and the power would come from, not from man's wisdom and wherewithal. And then we see that the servant examined the alternatives. He said, okay, well, we could do this and we could do that. And we see that he promised to follow the instructions that Abraham given him. He was loyal to Abraham. He said, okay, I accept and I swear that this is what I will do. And you have my promise that this is what I'll do for you. And he made a plan, didn't he? He came to the city, he went out to the well, said, okay, well, the women come out to get the water every evening in the well, all throughout the lands around here. So this is where I'll sit and I'll wait for further instructions from the Lord. And then he got there and he came up with a plan, but then he didn't have confidence in his own plan. He submitted that plan to God for approval. Did you hear what I said? He submitted that plan to God for approval. He prayed for God to guide him. And then he made room for God to do his miracles. He said, Lord, and not only will she give me a drink, but then she'll say, I mean, who, who, how many people would say this? Oh, don't worry, and I'll water all your camels for you too. No one would do that unless it was a total miracle of God, you see. And he made room for God to do his work in there so that he would know that it was from God. And then he waited on God. He waited on God. Mm -hmm. Enough said. He watched closely for God to move and God to answer. He was looking for any sign of where God was working. And then he was thankful to God. He returned to give thanks to God and worship God for the answered prayer that God had given him. Never be so caught up in the moment that you don't take the time to return and give thanks to God. Then the servant told others how God had been faithful to him. He spread the glory of God and the story of God's faithfulness to others as he told them what had happened. Then he refused any unnecessary delay. We're going to read in the rest of this story next week. He refused any unnecessary delay, but he wanted to make sure to go ahead and finish the task to finish the work that Abraham had asked him to do. So next week we're going to find out that he didn't want to delay any longer. He found the one that God had provided. He wanted to take her back to Abraham and get to Abraham and say, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've finished the task. A lot of people start the task, but then they get distracted by things in life. They get distracted by other things that they want. Oh, shiny object over here. You got to keep focused on the task. Keep focused on what God has asked you to do. Keep focused on what God has called you to do. It doesn't matter what he's called someone else to do. Keep focused on what God has asked you to do. And then finally, this servant followed through and he made sure that he had done everything he had been asked to do he went down the list and he said, okay, Abraham asked me to do this, I did this. He asked me to do this, I did this. Here's what happened. I asked God to do this, God did this. I asked God to do this, God did not only that, but even far more than that. This servant trusted God to guide him in his journey. And God guided him and God provided for him.
And God did one miracle after another to make his journey successful. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4 in the Tanakh says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's God's promise to you that if you want perfect peace in your life, trust in God in everything in your life. God's promise to you is that He will give you that perfect peace. You just keep trusting in Him. Will you trust in God to guide you in life? Would you trust in Him to lead you through all your decisions? Guide you through all your trials? Safely direct all of your steps that you take? If you give your life to Him and you let Him lead you in life, He will work in a mighty way to use you in the wonderful calling that He has for you. Are you available for God to use? Will you let go of your own goals in life and trust God to lead you on a journey far greater than your own thoughts and plans, and far greater than your own understanding? Give your life to Him and watch the amazing things that He'll do. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in. And he'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new night, a new life. And He'll change you into a totally new person. Throw all those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now we want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You know, you can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you. I do want to have that real peace that's being talked about. I want to have real peace in life. I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about the Lord every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. Amen.